But I've got a word today, and I want to give you what the Lord has laid on my heart. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 12. 2 Kings chapter 12. Despite his failings, King Joash decided to undertake a renovation program for the temple. It was about 100 years old by this time, so it needed a little TLC. Tender, love, and care. Some of y'all that didn't know that, I had to just break that down. So the king had a box installed by the altar with a hole in its lid. And the secretary and the high priest would empty the box. They would bring money, put it in the box. And then the secretary and the high priest would empty the box and give that money to those overseeing the temple repair work. Everything seemed almost good. But we get to verse 13 and we notice that Joash's intentions were good, but he left out some essential items while he was restoring the temple. 2 Kings chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. How be it? One of my favorite words in the Bible. I didn't know how to pronounce it for a long time. I try to make it just all one word, my pronunciation. And my wife said, baby, that's how be it. I said, okay, thank you for that. Appreciate your ministry. Howbeit there were not made for the house of the Lord bowls of silver, snuffers, basins. What's next? Trumpets, any vessels of gold or vessels of silver of the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave that to the workmen and repaired therewith the house of the Lord. Go back to verse 13 for a second. And I want you to notice one item that I'm going to focus on today out of those items. There were no trumpets in the house of the Lord. It looked like a house, but it didn't sound like a house. And there's a problem when this building looks like a church, but it don't sound like a church. There's an issue when this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but there ain't nobody praying when people get here. It's supposed to be a house of worship, but... So we got to get to a place to where we not only look, like the temple of the Holy Ghost, but we sound like a temple of the Holy Ghost. So help me today. I want to preach to you on this topic, on the other side of almost. On the other side of almost. I want to encourage somebody today. I want to give you a word of prophecy. There is some favor and some blessings and some special things that God has on the other side of your all-in commitment. You've been on the fringe trying to say, God, what am I going to do? And the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. If you'll go all in, there's some favor and some blessings that's getting ready to fall on your life. God, help me today. Help me to preach your word to these great people. Help me to find good ground. Help me to produce, God. I feel your anointing here. It's strong in this place. Help us to engage, to listen, to take in, to walk out of this place stronger than what we were when we walked in. Bless those watching online. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. You know our custom. One more time, give him a hand clap of praise, and you may be seated. You may be seated. It was D.L. Moody, the famous American evangelist, 
who by his own admission made a mistake on the 8th of October, 1871. It was one he determined not to repeat. He had been preaching in the city of Chicago, and this particular night drew his largest audience yet. His message was this, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? I'm going to have to preach that next Sunday. By the end of service, Moody was tired, so he concluded his message and presented the gospel faithfully once again. And then he said this, now I give you a week to think that over. And when we come together again, you will have an opportunity to respond. A soloist came up to sing, and people began to leave. However, before the final note, the music was drowned out by clanging bells and wailing sirens screaming through the streets. The great Chicago fire was blazing. And in the aftermath, hundreds had lost their life and over 100,000 were homeless. And it is said without a doubt that some who heard Moody's message were numbered among those. It was a mistake. And he wished he had never given the audience a week to ponder his message because they almost got it right. He reflected remorsefully about those in the audience who, audience who almost received the gospel. And as a preacher today, I'm, I'm in danger. I'm held accountable by God. There's consequences. If I let you settle for almost, but you never make the trip of full commitment to God. I'm held accountable. You're held accountable. Almost is a disheartening word in anyone's dictionary. It keeps company with expressions like if only. Anybody ever heard that? If they would only. Or what about in Louisiana or in the south? Near about. They near about did it. Well, you near about got that, dear. Near about it. Almost is a word that screams of missed opportunities and fumbled chances. Apostle Paul preached to King Agrippa, and, and the king responded, Man, Paul, that was a good sermon. Man, your content was great. It was so good, Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. You almost. Many were moved by Noah's faithful appeal to build an ark. Have you ever thought about this, or is it just my mind? I wonder how many people heard Noah's message and said, he's building a boat, I'm going to build a boat too. If there's going to be rain, I'm building a boat. It may not be as big as Noah's boat, but I'm going to build a boat. But I wonder how many half-finished arks the rising waters of the flood washed because they almost believed that a great flood was coming, but they never finished what they started. Lot's wife escaped the fire and brimstone as it destroyed the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but because she was only almost persuaded, the man of God, they were told, man of God, the angels came in. They were told, just like here today, the man of God is saying, you can't go back man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. She was told, do not look back at Sodom and Gomorrah, but she couldn't help it. She looked over her shoulder and she became a pillar of salt. Judas, who betrayed Christ, he almost changed his mind. But instead, he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Pilate confessed that Jesus was innocent, and he almost set him free, yet he turned him over to the angry mob to be crucified, and he washed his hands of the blood of Jesus, because almost is never enough. The rich young ruler was almost persuaded to follow Jesus. However, his riches and wealth prevented him from being fully committed 
And these are but a few examples of men and women who were given an opportunity to receive salvation, protection, relationship, reconciliation, and the fulfilled promises of God. But they settled on the wrong side of almost. They almost got it right. It was almost good enough. They almost committed. And the allure of almost is not only something we see throughout the scripture, but it's an ailment that plagues the church to this day. According to PewResearch.com, 84% of Louisiana residents consider themselves to be a Christian. Did you know that 84% of the people you come in contact with say that I'm a Christian? Some of you thinking about some people and saying, nah, they can't be. <laughs> but don't, don't be judgmental. 89% are certain that God exists regardless of religious affiliation. 90% of L.A. residents admit that religion plays a vital role in an individual's life and is a needed influence within a community, even if they themselves do not practice a particular religion. But even with these numbers, do you know how many of these believers go to church every Sunday? Of the 84% that claim to be a Christian, do you know what percentage? Y'all guessing right now. 46% of the 84% percent attend a religious service at least once a week do you know how many read their bible and pray on a consistent basis of those 84 percent 34 percent have a daily bible reading time set aside of bible reading and then prayer there's a clear conclusion that we can draw from looking at these numbers and that's simply this at an incredibly high percentage people in louisiana self-identify as christians and at the very least, recognize the important role a relationship with God serves in the community. But yet, in Louisiana, over 155,000 crimes were committed and charged last year. But we're a state that 84% of us believe in God and call ourselves a Christian. That's a little over 424 crimes per day. 31,500 of those crimes were violent in nature. One out of every 147 people was a victim of a violent crime last year. A little over 40% of Louisiana adults reported having anxiety and depression consistently. The drug overdose death rate in Louisiana has increased from 13.5 per 100,000 in 2011 to 56 per 100,000 as, uh, as of 2021. Just over 70,000 Louisiana residents overdosed last year. A state that claims an 84% rate to be active Christians, followers of Christ, is being bombarded with depression, anxiety, addiction, violence, criminality, and all manner of things at an incredible rate. A state that claims to be followers of a God who teaches love, peace, joy, selflessness, Patience, charity, and servanthood is in a constant state of hate, stress, fear, worry, anxiety, selfishness, and pride. How did we get to this place? Could it be just because we claim to be a Christian doesn't mean we act like a Christian? Could it be that we've settled on this side of almost all believe in Christ? I believe in a Savior. I believe in Him, but I'm not going any further with my commitment. Could it be? Because too many are trying to live their lives straddling the line between appeasing their flesh and following the Spirit that we have settled for a good enough experience 
comfort instead of commitment. And it worries me that many are finding this almost acceptable. They're not driven to be any better. They don't want to know Christ on a different level. They don't want to get the word out and read it every day. Can I tell you, that will never be good enough. We've got to go past almost. It's got to be a daily intake of word and prayer. We've got to live this to the fullest. The elders used to say this. It's hard to live for God easy, but it's easy to live for God hard. I'm committed. I'm not almost committed. I'm not almost obedient. I'm not almost prayed through. I'm not almost going to turn around. I'm not almost changed. I am changed. I am turning my life around. I, I need somebody to get it in your spirit. You've been almost there for too long, but God has sent me here on a Sunday morning to say almost is not good enough. There is more. God wants you to be more committed. I almost sold out to him. No, that's over today. We're going to make a decision. Somebody's going to cross into the land after almost. Somebody, somebody's getting ready to step into that. And this is why it's key. And I need you to hear me. The enemy doesn't need an invitation to wreak havoc in your life. He just needs an opportunity. He doesn't need you to invite him. Hey, come on into my life. Take everything away from me. Mess up my life. Take my joy, my peace, my family, my anointing, my calling. Take it all away. Take my commitment. No, he just needs an opportunity. He needs an almost to get a foothold in your life. Oh, I almost went to church today. Watch him climb up in your life. Oh, I almost prayed today. Nope. I almost, I almost, I, I, I almost didn't get offended. Boy, they looked at me. Did you see how they looked at me today? They looked at you like that because they got a sty in their eye. You didn't even know it. Look, I've been worried lately because Tip don't want me to talk about it. She, she's been showing me no sympathy. But I got some floaters in my eye, and I've been winking everywhere I go. And I'm like, man, God, somebody's going to say, Brother Josh, he was winking at me. I'm not winking at anybody. I'm trying to make sure I'm not going blind. That's what I'm trying to do. Went to the eye doctor twice in three weeks, and she's laughing. I don't think it's funny. I don't know what you're laughing at. Sir, there's nothing wrong. Everybody gets floaters. No, that's not what I want to hear. Take them out. Look, but one gossip session will pull you away from the kingdom of God. One, one inappropriate text or message on social media will spark an affair in your life because almost will always get you in trouble. Just one movie. Oh, you own movies. One movie. He's the prince in the power of the air, which I can't get on that now. I got to get on that later on in the message. But he's just looking for the right atmosphere. He wants to know what he can grow into your life with the right atmosphere. So he needs one movie, one visit to a website, one catchy song or an explicit video game to plant certain images in our mind, minds that will slowly silence the voice of God. Just one experiment, experiment with a drug to carry out his plan of full-blown addiction. Come on, let me preach to somebody for a little bit this morning. It's not the elephant in the room that's destroying our lives, but the small foxes that is spoiling the vine. It's the dullness of the axe head. That is causing it not to cut because we haven't sat down and said, you know what? I need to sharpen my life right now because it's a little bit dull. I'm going through the motion. I've been living in the land of almost. It's not a Philistine army that destroyed Samson. But a little lady by the name of Delilah. 
It was just a neglected shield that King Saul forgot to anoint that ended up costing him his life because when that archer pulled back that arrow to shoot it at the king, he had neglected putting oil on that leather shield and it was brittle. And when that archer pulled back that arrow and shot that arrow at that king and he put that shield up to block it, those days of living in the land of almost caused that shield to be brittle and what should have been able to stop that arrow could no longer stop it and there are some of us that we're putting our shield up at the fiery darts of the enemy but there's no longer any oil on our shield because we've been living in the land of almost you got to get out of that I've got to wake up and say I'm anointing my shield today the enemy's going to come after me but I'm going to be anointed I'm going to be an overcomer I'm not going to settle I refuse to live in the land of almost here's the truth What starts as a minor eventually becomes a major. The longer the neglect, the bigger the problem. That's why a pilot will tell you that they have to constantly, they have to constantly readjust their direction. Pilots tell us that if they are one degree off course for every 60 kilometers they fly, they will be one kilometer off their target. And of course, the longer the flight, the further from the target they will finish up. Yet pilots also tell us that every plane flying is off course 99% of the time. That makes me confident in going flying. (laughs) Buy me a plane ticket now. Put me on the plane. So how does any plane travel any distance and arrive at the right place? They constantly readjust their course and do not tolerate little compromises in their life. They deal with what needs to be dealt with, when it needs to be dealt with, so it doesn't become bigger. Because you can bring a problem through a front door, but the more you feed it and grow it, it ain't going to go out the same way you brought it in. You got to take some walls down in order to get that situation out. That's why we deal with it immediately. If you have to justify it within yourself, it's probably wrong. Or a pastor is in heaven and hell. Wrong question. Is the Holy Spirit convicting you that this is going to lead to something else that's going to lead to heaven or hell? A heaven or hell issue. If we got to justify it, if I got to say, well, man, is this wrong? Should I do it? It's wrong. Stop. There it is. That's the line right there. If you go to do it and the Holy Spirit tells you it's wrong, don't do it. Because here's more revelation. The more you ignore the Holy Spirit, the easier it's going to be to do what you know you shouldn't be doing. Well, man, the first time I went to do this, I was really convicted about it. Now I don't feel anything. There's a reason. You've told the Holy Spirit no so much that you're desensitized. Well, I know, I know you didn't come here for this this morning, but I got to help somebody. The more familiar we become, the less conviction we feel. And it won't be long before we are desensitized to the Holy Spirit. I'm taking inventory today of my life. Look, we've been in a, in a week of fasting and praying. I hadn't prayed since December, so January's been good. I'm joking. Nobody get offended. But we're, we're in a, a, a month of consecration and prayer, and I'm checking my life. And do you know why I'm checking my life? Because we don't need any more members numbered among the almost at this church. Revelations 3, 15 through 16, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea who can be labeled the cornal church, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. 
This church was characterized by pride, ignorance, self-sufficiency, and complacency. And watch this. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The everyday English Josh Payne translation puts it this way. Y'all make me want to throw up. That's not me. That's the word of the Lord. Because almost prayer is still prayerlessness. If you're lukewarm, you're cold. Almost worship is still not worship. Almost committed to God is still uncommitted to God. We are either hot or we're cold. Because if we're lukewarm, we are cold. And here's another thing. We're not getting out. We're not getting to the other side of almost with good intentions. I heard somebody say one time, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I've got good intentions. My intentions are good. I'm, my intentions are good. They're not, not going to get you to the other side of almost you have to have intentional action god i'm stepping across this whether i feel it or not god i'm getting out of this before it pulls me too far back whether i want to or not god i'm, I'm not staying here because the word says the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour and i've made up my mind today and i can't preach or i can't speak for everybody in this building but when the en enemy shows up to devour me i'm going to let him know that i've still got a voice enough to rebuke him and say i'm not going to be numbered among the devourable i'm i don't want to almost have revival i don't want to almost make it my mind is made up i don't want a seasonal anointing i want a fully committed anointing look Joash's reign started good. We all, we all start pretty good. Anybody remember when God saved you, how awesome it was? Raise your hand if you remember that. Literally. You, you, you could whip a bear with a switch. No joke. You, God first spared you. He pulled you out of that, man. You wanted to pray fast, read your Bible. You wanted everything God had for you. That's how Joash started out. He started out with good intentions. He started out, I mean, he, after David, it, it was a bloody coup that took place. And then upon the death of her son, the king, Joash's grandmother, she killed all of the royal family and set herself on the throne. How would you like a grandmother like that? Joash's grandmother says, you know what? I'm going to be queen here. Ain't nobody else being queen. So she killed all of the royal family and set herself on the throne. But Joash's great aunt snuck the infant out with his nurse, and they hid him for six years in a secret place at the temple of God. And when he was around seven years old, the priest Jehoiada staged an uprising against the wicked and idolatrous grandmother, placing the boy Joash upon his rightful throne. The temple of Baal in the city was destroyed. The priests of Baal were put to death. The covenant was reestablished and proper temple worship was reestablished. It looked like another golden age was coming to the kingdom of God. It looked like revival. The plans had been laid. The process had begun. But something went wrong. Joash, you're doing good. The temple's looking good. You're reconstructing it. Man, it looks like a temple. Joash, you're doing such a good job. But Joash, where's the trumpets? It looks good. Joash knew how vital of a role the trumpets played in his culture. They were vital. They were vital to the life of the temple. We read of the importance these trumpets played in Solomon's temple. When they played the trumpets and they sang, the glory of the Lord filled that temple. Children of Israel knew what the trumpet sounded like, and they knew the importance of it. The trumpet call framed each day, and a priest was assigned to watch four fires in the temple at night. The first three fires observed were the brazen altar, the golden candlestick, and the golden altar of incense. The fourth fire was called the first spark of, of the new day. 
Three events happened nearly at the same time, the dawn, the morning sacrifice, and the sounding of the trumpet. And when the fiery orb finished its trek across the heavens and sank below the western horizon, dusk was accompanied by two other companions, the evening sacrifice and again the sounding of the trumpet. And that's why the scripture says that we should praise him from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Because our voice of praise is like a trumpet. Listen, the trumpet called God's people to worship. If you go right now and you put in, if you search in a Bible app or on Google, if you search blow the trumpet, you'll find it's all over the Old Testament because it was a signal for the saints to assemble and that something was getting ready to happen. Holy convocations and sacred fasts were marked with trumpets. The feasts were marked with trumpets blasts. Ninefold blessings of the rabbis were punctuated with the trumpets. In the Jewish New Year, Moses instructed that the trumpets sounded all day. When it was the Jewish New Year, they played trumpets all day long. And then once every 50 years, this is what gets me, every 50 years there was a sound of a trumpet that sounded jubilee. And the oppressed went free. Can you imagine being bound and oppressed for 50 years? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden hearing the sound of a trumpet and realize I am free. I'm no longer bound. This is my jubilee. I hear the sound today. Please forgive me for a moment. I hear the sound of jubilee today. There is the sound. And do you know how this story is going to end? You know how it's going to end here? Gabriel's going to step up, and Gabriel's going to sound the trumpet. And his, his elect, God's elect, are going to be gathered. This story will not close with a whimper, but with a trumpet. With the trumpet, God spoke to his people. Is it any wonder when the priests marched before the Ark of the Covenant that they were instructed to blow the trumpets? God's people knew on the other side of the trumpet blast that God's going to move and God was going to revive. And when a king... When they crowned a king, you got to get this. I'm taking you back a little bit. But when they crowned a king, do you know what they would do? It's the best I got, guys. That's the best I got all day. They would blow the trumpet to let the people know that we've just crowned a king. And here we are today. And we don't have a bunch of trumpets. I wish we did. I pass them out. I don't know how to play a trumpet, but I would try. But that's symbolic of the New Testament voice that we have today. Somebody hear me. Our voice and our praise operates as a trumpet in the church. And when we magnify God, we're letting people know there's a king being crowned today in our life. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice. There's got to be a sound. Come on, there's power in the house when you magnify and praise my God. Let me tell you something else about the power of a shout. The enemy is called the prince and the power of the air. I mentioned that earlier in my message. You know what that means? That he wants to oppress us. Anybody ever had an anxiety attack? Raise your hand high if you've ever had them. I had one just recently to do with these eyes. Just pray for me. I'm going through it with my eyes. You're going to hear about it about 35 more messages. <laughs> Put them eye drops in my eyes. Thought I was going blind. Woke up middle of the night. And I'm looking at one red light on my alarm system. And I looked at it, and I said, it's blurry. And I looked at it again, I said, I said, that's it. It's over. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I said, I don't want to wake Tiff up. So I run, I run to the living room, and I'm walking around, and I'm telling you, I've had them before. I'm like, God, I'm about to hyperventilate. I walk in the bathroom. I throw water on my face, and I said, okay. 
blinked 12 times. 1, 2, 3, 4, 12 tribes of Israel. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. <laughs> Cleared up a little bit. I said, well, 7 is the Lord's number. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I got all the way down to 1 because then you got 3. 3 is the number of completion. 1, 2, 3. And then there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I finally got down to 1 and my eyes opened up. I'm lying. They really didn't, but it would have been good, wouldn't it? If we would have ended right there, Holy Ghost would have fell immediately. But I had enough sense because I've learned this, that the enemy is like, this, like a python. That spirit, it calls itself around. You know how a python kills its prey? Suffocates its prey little by little by little. And that's what anxiety and oppression does to us. He makes us feel like the walls are closing in on us. That's why when you have an anxiety attack, you can't breathe. It's like an elephant is sitting on your chest. And you're like, man, can I? It's oppression. This is spiritual. But can I tell you the remedy to that oppression? When you lift your voice with a shout, it shreds the atmosphere. Next time anxiety shows up, next time oppression shows up, I challenge somebody. Lift your voice and say, not today. I've got a sound that will shred the, I feel the holy anointing of God falling in this place. I've got a voice to shred the atmosphere. On the other side of almost, you want to know the power of a shout? Go read about Gideon. Gideon took 300 men. 300 men, they had a trumpet in one hand, and they had a pitcher with a lamp or a torch on, on the inside of that lamp in the other hand. And, and they were going up against an enemy, 250,000 men in the other army. And God said, you're going to go fight them, but you're going to take a trumpet, and you're going to take a lamp. Thank you, God. I appreciate that. That's exactly what I need. And they're going to fight 250,000 men, but go read it. When they broke, at the right time, they broke those those lamps and that light shined forth and then all of a sudden they blew that trumpet and they shouted and do you know what their what happened to their enemy the enemy became so confused by the noise of the broken vessels and the shout that they started destroying each other when we as vessels understand our purpose and our voice the enemy doesn't know what to do and there is an army rising full of broken people today that understand I don't have to have it all together I just got to have a little bit of a voice I can be broken but if I shout the enemy don't know what to do he's been working all week on me but I've got a shout left in me and the enemy do you know why the walls of Jericho came down because they blew the trumpets and they shouted. And the enemy doesn't care if we have a building here. He just doesn't want us to have trumpets in this place. The enemy doesn't want intercessors to be found here, revivalists to be found here, worshipers to be found here. He wants this to be a library where people come here and it looks like a church, but there's not enough oil to deliver anybody. There's not... <laughs> enemy, you picked the wrong place. There is trumpets in the house still. Come on, there is trumpets in the house still. And, and watch, watch. The reason this is important is because there was a, a king of Aram that showed up to attack Jerusalem. And you know what Joash did? He went and got everything valuable in the temple. And he tried to pay this king and bribe this king to not attack them. And the Holy Spirit quickened me. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. That we will forfeit the treasure and yield the harvest if we don't get our voice back in the house of God. 
Some of us are just trying to get the enemy to leave us alone. What do you want? I'll give you anything you want. Just leave me alone. Don't mess with me anymore. That's not the way that we fight this battle. We look at the enemy and say, don't come back in my home. You're not going to mess with my family. You're not going to mess with my calling. You're not going to mess with my children. I've got a voice, and I will. Come on, the world is trying to silence our voice. But I've got my voice. I've got my voice. I've got my voice. That trumpet, that trumpet is made out of silver. The trumpet was made out of silver and it had been redeemed through the fire. So the instrument itself is a symbol of redemption. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The wind that produces the sound is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Blow the trumpet in Zion. That's nothing but the wind of God blowing through the redeemed. That's nothing but Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one place with one accord and suddenly there was a... Sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled up. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, that's the sound of a trumpet. Paul said, don't stop praying in the Spirit. We are mouthpieces. We are vessels. I'm not here today to say that this might be the way. I'm here today to say this is the way. We don't ask the question, is this that? I've come to tell you this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, saith the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit. I didn't show up today to play a fiddle while Rome burns. That's not why I showed up. I showed up with the voice of a trumpet. When darkness comes into my life, I've got the voice of a trumpet. When sin abounds, I'm going to sound the trumpet. When the love of many waxes cold, sound the trumpet. I need somebody to understand you still have a voice. Go read about John the Revelator. It says that when he heard God speak to him, it sounded like a trumpet. It sounded like a trumpet. And in the last days, God is looking for somebody that will stand, stand in the gap because here's the reality. Somebody once stood in the gap for me and sound the trumpet and let people know that we're going to be all right. Joe asked what happened. Joe asked what happened because eventually he takes stuff out of the temple, gives it away, and then all of a sudden we read later on that Belshazzar shows up and there's nothing stopping him from taking the people captive. He took everything valuable Aram, the king of Aram, took everything valuable out of the temple. And then Belshazzar shows up and takes the people captive. Why? Because there was no sound of a trumpet. If we want to lose the next generation, then let us stop lifting our voice and giving the enemy chaos in his world and giving God praise in our world. I don't know. Joash, how did you miss it? How did you miss the trumpets? How, Jehoiada, the priest, how did you let Joash get to this place? How did you let him build a temple but not have a certain sound coming out of that temple? And there's a call going forth today for people to open their voice, open their mouth, lift their voice, and let God know we are going to be a certain sound that pushes back against the gates of hell. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to let the enemy have anything else in my life. Musicians, you can come. And here it is. You get to that place to where you've got to decide. Am I going to live here? We read that Ezekiel was taken. Anybody been reading your devotional, church devotional? Absolutely amazing. 
Sister Megan Johnson, I'm glad she found that. I'm glad she set it up because it's been absolutely incredible. But a lot of it has been about Ezekiel. Can you imagine? He's dropped off. The Holy Spirit takes him, drops him off in a valley full of dry bones. Taken by the Spirit. And Ezekiel looks at this valley of death, at these bones that had once been a proud army marching beneath their banners, fluttering and snapping in the air. Their polished shields had once caught the reflection of the rising sun. And the walls of this valley had once reverberated with the rhythmic thunder of their marching feet. They had once stood proud and confident. When they marched away from their home, these soldiers were applauded and adored. However, now their weaponry has rusted. Their banners have decayed over time. And this mighty army had met an opponent mightier than they. And destruction was the result. And God takes the prophet and he puts him into this valley to the situation and I want to talk to somebody right now because you're walking through a valley I want to talk about the valley the real valleys of life I want to talk to you I want to talk about something that's not talked about in the church I want to talk about the valley that you can't shout out of your life or dance out of your life you know what I'm talking about some of you have been raised in this I've seen people dance huck a buck and I love it I don't even know what that word means but I love it I've seen them. I, I, I've seen them dance, but never deal with their valley. So Monday when they wake up, they go right back to the valley full of dry bones. And some of you think, well, I'm the only one dealing with anything. That's a lie from the enemy. If you're in here today and you're dealing with some stuff, raise your hand. Welcome to the club. You're not the only, and that's what the enemy, you're the only one. Nobody cares about you. You're not the only one. Everybody in this place is dealing with something in their life. And some of us have been dealing with it and coping with it so long that we think it's never going to get better. We go through the motions and we show up to church and we lift our hands every once in a while. Some of us has even got some consecrated olive oil that we ordered from somewhere. You got it from Amazon. It's got a little peppermint smell to it. And you're putting it on everything. You're anointing the dog, the kids, your wife, your home. That's me. I'm sorry. I'm not talking to you right now. You've put all on everything, and it's still not getting any better. So instead of, instead of going back and getting to the other side of almost, you've learned, you've learned how to cope with it. You've developed coping mechanisms to where you'll lock up for three days and just watch a TV show because that makes you feel better about the valley full of dramas. You'll find you a substance to take your mind off of it. And if I can be honest today, there's peace in giving up. There's peace. It's easy to give up. There's a calmness in giving up. There's an escape that comes when you accept. It's never going to get any better. It became natural to me to walk through this. And then once I finally get used to it, this is the way God works. God will let you just settle down and be like, man, it's never going to get better. I'm never going to be. You ever met somebody so negative that you become negative? Griping. You start griping. It's like contagious. And you get to a place and you're like, man, it's just, it's never going to get better. I'm, I'm just going to settle here. I, I'll go to church every once in a while, but I'm always going to have this. It's always going to be a valley full of dry bones. It's never going to get any better. It's never going to be what it was. Here I am. And then all of a sudden you hear, can these bones live again? God, you dare to ask me that question? 
when I've already given up and I'm content with the way it is? And then you're going to ask me, can yesterday's hopes and dreams live again? Can something be restored that seems to possess so little hope? Why would you wake up my hope to something that has not changed? But God was showing him. The miracle is never in what you lost. It's always in what you got left. And I love Ezekiel because he, he gave God a sarcastic answer. Lord, thou knowest. That's exactly what I would have said. God, can these bones live? I don't know. You know. I don't know. You, God, I'm not. I don't even know why I'm here. Why do I even have to come here? You're going to ask me a question, Lord? You're going to ask me that question? So my response is, Lord, thou knowest. But I love what Ezekiel 37 and 4 says. The Lord says, oh, I know. And I'm telling you they can live again. I'm telling you your marriage can be better than it's ever been. I'm telling you the prodigals can come home. I'm telling you your family can be saved. I'm telling you I can use you. I'm telling you you don't have to live in condemnation. I'm telling you they can live again. I'm telling you it can be stronger and better and more. I'm telling you. But if it is. You have to prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel, if you want it to be better, I'm not, I'm not going to restore those bones until you open your mouth and you say, I'm committed. I'm here. It's not what it looks like. God is still working. I'm going to be all right. He's putting it together. He's working it out. Dry bones, you're going to live. You're going to become a mighty army. He invited the Holy Spirit into the place. Oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That word which spoke in darkness fled from the cosmos. Speak that word which challenges the barren hills and replaces them with splendor. Speak the word that calls a drought to stop after three and a half years and rain shows back up. Speak that word that takes things that are dead and brings life back into them. Speak that word, Ezekiel. Verse 30, verse 7 of Ezekiel 37. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied. Listen, you can prophesy and not feel nothing. Ezekiel said, Ezekiel didn't say I prophesied because I had goosebumps all over my arms. Ezekiel didn't say I prophesied because they sing the right song. The Holy Ghost fell just right. He said I prophesied because his word commanded me to prophesy. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And in my spirit today, I hear a rattling in the spirit. There are some things that have been torn apart in your life that are get, they're getting ready to start coming back together. There are some things that the enemy told you they'll never be the same again. It'll never, they're coming back together. There is a rattling in the house. Let's stand. But this is what happened. Ezekiel has a decision to make. These bones start coming together. And Ezekiel can... He can settle for that. You ever settle? Man, it's, it's pretty good right now. But watch what happened. Because there was a, an other side of almost. Because if Ezekiel doesn't go further, these, these bones look like an army, but they don't sound like an army. In Ezekiel 37, 8 through 10. And I looked, and behold, there was sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. And Ezekiel can stop right there and be like, man, look at what the Lord has done. They ain't got up yet, but they hear. 
They look better than what they did before I showed up. Like when I got here, it wasn't like this. Y'all see what God did? And he could have said, man, they were almost an army. But I love verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy again. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breathe and breath, breathe, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And watch what happened. Breath came into them, and they lived and stood on. You know what that breath is? That's the sound of a trumpet that was coming back to an army. And they became. There's some things that are getting ready to stand back on their feet. God, I feel the anointing in this place. They went from looking like an army to acting like an army. And I don't, I, I don't know who I'm talking to right now. But you've been content to settle with the way things are. But you hear me. It'll never live unless you speak to it. It will never live until you speak the same breath that brought Adam back to Adam to life, brought Ezekiel's dry bones to life, that breathed the Holy Spirit onto the disciples in the upper room and inspired the Word of God is calling us today. That same breath that that, that when he said, let there be, there was, that same breath. Can we be honest today? Can we be open? There's a call that's going forth for somebody to be a voice. But you've taken the trumpet and you've set it on the shelf. And you said, maybe, maybe one day. There's a call that is going forth for lost trumpets. And you've lost your voice and you've lost your purpose. And God has sent me here. Are you going to prophesy or are you going to complain? Are you going to speak life or are you going to let there be death? What are you going to do with the situation you're in? Do you look like a temple of the Holy Ghost or are you full of the Holy Ghost? To where you can open your mouth and say, God's getting ready to do something in my family and in my life. 